the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. And as we talk about college football in an hour or less, I'm joined by friend and colleague over at Stadium, Michael Felder. Hello, Felder. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. I uh, I know I don't want to spoil the last call that we'll get into later, but you know we're recording this via Zoom and I can see some beautiful nail polish on those nails. So. Oh yeah, I'm I'm ready to get to that at the end, but let's we got a lot of heavy lifting to do today, so let's get into it. All right, so we're gonna do something fun. We're gonna do something a little different, um, as we are, you know, in the middle of the off season here. And this is Felder's brainchild, and we're gonna call it for better or for worse. So basically, the idea here is we're gonna run through a bunch of prominent Power Five programs and some that are outside of the Power Five, and go through whether or not they're in a better place than they were when we grew up. Um, so before we start, we got to put a little parameters around this. Um, Felder, you are a little older than me. So our childhood, formative years of becoming sports fans are a little bit different. But we're essentially looking around, like what we're going to talk about, like 1990 can be like an anchor year um, sure. for us as, as, you know, kind of a starting point or a midpoint or whatever it might be. Um, and we're also going to end up talking a lot about conference realignment because that affected a lot of these programs in terms of what success was and like new ceilings or, you know, maybe their ceiling went down a little bit. Um, so basically, you guys feel free to tweet us and argue with us about if you think someone's better now, worse now, you disagree with us. Um, but but I think I think we want to start with with the old Big East, right, Felder? I mean, this is. A conference that doesn't, it became the American, but it just doesn't exist the way that it did in college football. It didn't have the place and the schools and, and this, this lore to it that it did when we had, when we were growing up. Like I grew up 20 minutes from Rutgers and like when Rutgers had its magical seasons, it was in the Big East. So let's start, let's start there. Let's walk through who is in it, who is dominant, take it away. Yeah, no, so for me, Big East for me is not even that Rutgers mass big season. Like for me growing up, and uh, caveat, two things. One, I grew up absolutely in love with college football. Like watching it nonstop all the time. That's what we did on Saturdays. And then, you know, my folks would, my like my, my dad and I just watched college football all day Saturday. And I grew up, one, one thing that I don't think people realize or give enough cre- credit or credence to Virginia Tech created Thursday Night Football. And Virginia Tech was a school that had that at one point had the longest streak of 10-win seasons, and they were consistently beast. Oh, and by the way, have you heard of Michael Vick? And then you throw in Miami, who was in that Big East as well, and thinking about Ed Reed stealing that ball away and just run going, just taking it to the house, like housing it. Like they they played for a national championship coming out of the Big East. And it was wild. And then you throw in at a school that I don't think enough people give credit to, Syracuse. Syracuse was a monster. I, one of my most memorable college football moments when I was like playing college football, we played a, like a double or triple overtime game against Syracuse. It was 
one of the longest affairs and truly did create the reason why I want games to be over quicker because when you're standing on the sideline in September in North Carolina and you're you're wearing full pads, it gets exhausting. But when I look at that, obviously the deconstruction of the Big East from a football standpoint, obviously transitioning to the American, um, I don't know, I think certainly I don't think Syracuse, Virginia Tech, or Miami fans would say that things are better off than in the 90s or in the even the early 2000s. And that's a that's a that's got to be even though the, in theory we moved to the ACC, so things got we make more money or this happens, we still remain part of the Power Five. I don't think that those programs feel like they're better off. No, and I think I think it goes back to what you were saying about Miami um, and their place in college football. You know, as as a power, as a blue blood, the path to a national championship game, the path to to the top of the sport. And if you think about the way that some of the conferences were drawn up at that time, I think that's important, too, because you're looking at footprints, right, of the the schools you're recruiting against and the type of athletes you're able to get. So it was set up really well for Miami to dominate its conference and also be a national player in a way that I think is more challenging right now with with Florida State. and, And obviously, you know, you still have Florida there. But you have a lot more schools recruiting nationally and dipping into Florida in general. Um, I, I think I wanted to, to talk a little bit about my introduction to, to college football because I think we're going to lean a little bit more on you here in, this, in all of these conversations because of what you said about how you and your dad and you would just sit and, and watch college football all day every Saturday. My dad and I did that on Sundays. We were pro sports family. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up in central Jersey. It's just not a, it's not nearly a big deal. Um, you know, I, yeah. embarrassing as it is to admit, like I was one of those people that didn't know offhand if Michigan or Michigan State, which colors they were. Right. Like because just wasn't watching college sports enough to, to pay attention. And it took until I was applying to colleges really to be into it and to, to catch up because obviously I went to Michigan and my aunt and uncle lived in Ann Arbor and, you know, you just you totally get sucked into it. But it is a shift because I, I don't know that many people who grew up watching football. I mean, maybe they did, but they just didn't do other stuff. But like what, watching football all day Saturday and all day Sunday, it's, it's a lot. So I feel like people picked one or their family had a history of one and, and you go from there. So it, it's been really interesting to be, um, you know, working in college football and also to be exposed to it. As a student, really, for the first time, um, you know, I've talked about this a lot, but my first game at Michigan was App State. And so it was this historical <laughs> moment in college football history. And to understand and have to put that into context, again, while still learning about the sport, was a really interesting experience. And then, you know, you, you go from that. But it, it, but again, like when you think about different eras, we're going to talk about some of these like golden eras of um, for certain programs and, and looking back on things. Like, I was aware of the Miami teams and how good yeah. they were, right? Like, there were things that, that punctured through, you know, the, the buzz and, and the din of every other sport, um, even if I wasn't super, super involved in, you know, in, in college football. Donovan McNabb at Syracuse. Like, things broke through. Um, and so I, I'm with you. I, th- I would say that Miami and Virginia Tech – shouldn't be in that bad of a position, right? Like, we've been waiting for them to to emerge, right, in the uh-huh. ACC. There's there's a few programs. We're going to talk about Florida State as well later in this conversation. But, like, there should be paths. Like, there should be 
for them. There should be paths, and and there just aren't right now. Maybe it's, you know, the recruiting, the coach, whatever it might be. What about West Virginia? Yeah, that's an interesting one, too, because they – West Virginia – they were always a fun – like, I remember watching Amos Zeraway. And then my dad got super excited because Amos Zeraway then went to play for the Steelers, which is my dad's favorite team in the NFL. So, I remember watching Amos Zeraway and seeing those teams. And then, obviously, you get into the Pat Whites and the Slaytons and the Noel Devines and the whole deal. It, it – they were one of those schools. You mentioned recruiting nationally. They're one of those schools that was able to dip down into Alabama – Florida and get kids and bring them to West Virginia to play into the in the Big East. And I do think that getting left out of the the ACC push and having to move into the Big 12 was a really rough spot for them. And as beneficial as the Big 12 has been for a school like TCU, I think it has been roughly detrimental. Although I will say this, of the schools, West Virginia seems to have hired Good coaches pretty consistently. Yeah. yeah. And find and find a way. But I think it's because it's a school that so I would say I, I think all circumstances I think they're it's not Pat White level, it's not the Richrod level, but I think they're they've been relatively even compared to some schools that have kind of driven off a cliff. And while they they still haven't won a Big Twelve championship, the reality is they they keep putting up winners, they keep finding ways to win. Uh, they keep being a threat. Um, I think the level may have changed, but that's simply because of the way the sports shifted. But there's still a program that's, I don't know, I, I, and this is, maybe this is just me thinking about, you know, sitting on the floor on a Saturday in like 1997 or whatever it was, watching famous Amos run around. And, but I still get that same sort of feel when I watch them play. Yeah, I, I think, I think you're right about their level of expectation ceiling stuff being more a product of the sport right now. And it's something we've talked about a lot on this podcast about the top heavy nature and how there are certain programs that are just at a level that even the other good programs can't get to right now. I think they also have had great coaches and I feel like they've also had coaches that are like perfectly West Virginia. Like they've nailed exactly what they're looking for in their identity um, and so I'm with you. I mean, I think we've, we've looked back a little bit on that rush of conference realignment and just sort of like how bizarre it is that West Virginia is in the Big 12 and how much money that costs for Olympic sports and all of these other pieces. But it was made for a football decision. It was made in an era where everyone was scrambling, didn't want to be left out, didn't want to be in a leftover conference. Yeah. And, you know, that was important. But I So I think from a football standpoint – it's been a fine fit. I mean, as you said, in terms of like, you know, championships and this and that, that'll come eventually. But I do think there was a, you know, I I think you would still have to say that the, the big, the old big East were were better days because you had the pit rivalry. You had these other regional, you were playing teams in your region. So that stuff mattered. Like, again, I know I bring Rutgers up all the time because someone has to. They had some epic games against Rutgers, and it was a big deal in our area because it wasn't very far away. A lot of people went to Rutgers, Pitt, and West Virginia, and it it mattered. And so you absolutely still have to say that you're in a worse position now because you are not anywhere near your schools, and you lost one of the best rivalries in college football. 
Yeah, uh, Backyard Brawl was amazing. I mean, it literally cost them a shot at a national championship during the BCS era, losing that football game. Oh, and by the way, Pitt, we didn't mention Pitt, but uh, I, I know they're trying, but man, I Pitt, like one, Larry Fish, Pitt, Pitt should have had two Heisman Trophy winners in the last, what, 15, 16 years? They should have had two Heisman Trophy winners. Larry Fitzgerald and Aaron Donald, and just didn't happen. And that sucks. So I just wanted to get that in there because that's the thing that I wrote in my notes that just like still sticks in my craw. And yes, I I I will say though, I'm with you totally on those two. Um, Pitt is, you know, how much I I genuinely love the ACC Coastal Division, and I think it's genuinely the weirdest and most interesting division in all of sports. Yep. Pitt is a perfect fit for that. So yes. that element I do love. But again, all of this, anything that causes a rivalry, which will be a theme, we're going to hit on some other teams, it, it's hard to, you're going to have to make up for that. When we're talking about are you in a better or worse position than you were in our childhoods, that's going to be a major thing. Let's shift over to um, to some of those teams new divisions or new leagues. We've been talking about the ACC a bunch. Um, let's talk about Florida State and, and also Clemson's emergence because obviously yeah. Clemson's in a better position now than they were when we grew up. But I'm curious your thoughts on like Florida State's role in that. I mean, it certainly doesn't help that Florida State just completely disintegrated after winning a national championship and then getting to the, the first, uh, first uh, iteration of the playoff. And then it just the power struggle there and, and whether it's ego or it's actual finance and alumni base and all that, it's it's sad to see because growing up, Florida State was, I mean, they're the best team. <laughs> they're the best team all the time, forever. No one could ever beat them. It was a joke. Like, especially growing up, like I grew up watching Raycom slash Jefferson pilot football games where Florida State is just beating the wheels off of every single ACC team. In my life, I remember like pre-taking visits, like getting recruited and everything. I remember, let me think now, and let me think. I want to make sure I get this right. UNC beat Florida State, I think it was 41-9 to in Chapel Hill. And was it NC State? that beat Florida State in Tallahassee, I think was like the first ACC team to do it. It was a crazy time. I don't think younger fans realize how truly crazy it was. You did not beat Florida State ever. And Florida State was a program born of a a culture of a time. Like Florida State was a women's college that that then... let men in and then decided to do football. And their whole thing was they were road warriors and they would play people anytime, anywhere. And that mentality was born in that program. They were a program that not only was winning national championships, but also led the nation in penalties, but they were all penalties of aggression. And there was some anger. Like I'm, I'm, I don't know. Like I, yeah, I'm getting nostalgic because I remember I thought that Roscoe Parrish was dead when Stanford Samuels hit him. I thought he was a dead person on the field. It was terrifying the way that Florida State was able to play football. 
And now that terror has seemed to have left the building. So they're certainly not in a as good a spot as they were through the 90s into the 2000s, even the 2013 and 14. And that's rough. It's rough for the conference because I don't think people realize this. This has become college football is a regional sport that's trying to play national chess. And it is really rough when your players don't live up. You, to, to circle back from an ACC perspective, you bring in Virginia Tech, you bring in Miami, you put your title game in, in, in Tampa, or Jackson, in Tampa, I believe, and the goal is to have Florida State and Miami banging heads, and this is the biggest game in the world. And hasn't happened that way. And so for Florida State, rough spot. But to, to be positive, Clemson, what Clemson's been able to do, they were always a good football team. They were always good. They were always an almost. Almost. And I remember growing up and people talking about Danny Ford and and we were this good with that. And like this is pre me, pre like pre my time, but like talking about the Perry brothers and talking about um Big Boy played linebacker for the Steelers, uh Kirkland, Levon Kirkland, and all those guys and we got to get back to those days and we got to make it feel like it's like 81 again and do those things. And they could never get close. They got, or could never quite get there. And obviously Tommy Bowden and that situation, but they had some great players like Woody Dantzler. I absolutely loved. Um, and then, you know, NFL's backup, Jesus, Charlie Whitehurst. And then Dabo, they took, I mean, Dabo just, he elevated. He figured out. He found the special sauce and found the formula and got it done. So certainly they're better than they were. I think an interesting one for me is NC State because they never felt that far off from Clemson. And then all of a sudden, Clemson takes this rocket ship to the moon. And NC State hasn't been able kind of to, to replicate that. So it's been very interesting. UNC, I think NC State, UNC, they feel about the same because there have been some good years. Chuck Amato did some really great things there. I mean, I absolutely love Chuck the Chest. Um, smart guy, too, didn't recruit me at all. <laughs> he wanted athletes. <laughs> but... They're right there in the mix. So I, I, I think in the ACC, if we're taking the, 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 the whole of it, I think Clemson is better. I think a couple other schools are worse. I think there's – and this is, I think, going to be the running theme, right? It's way harder to get better than it is to be worse. Right. And, and I think, too, especially in this era, right? Like we're in an era yeah. with a four-team playoff where there's – the way that we define success has changed and it would be very hard for a team that is not winning its conference and in the playoff conversation to be considered that, especially when there were more paths. Like we're talking about eras where you could, you know, polls were determining national champs and, yeah. you know, the schedules were totally different. So it was just, it was, it was, again, it was never easy to, to win a lot of games in this sport. Sure. But it was easier to dominate or return to to championship games and to, to and to get 
national respect and, and reaching different bowl games meant something. Whereas yes. now that doesn't like no one's like, oh, yeah, but you had an Orange Bowl season. Like, no, nobody talks that way anymore. Yeah. Where that helps, I think, with nostalgia about how good certain teams were. I think, you know, on the on the Florida State point, um, you know, we've talked about this, too. But it's, it's again, just worth underscoring how jarring it is that they won a title in 2013 and then fell off a cliff so fast. So yeah. there was a time in the ACC where it was Clemson and Florida State. There was also the Lamar Jackson Louisville years. So you had yes. like a, a, a couple of years there where it wasn't just Clemson and everybody else. And, you know, how healthy that was for the sport, how healthy that was for the conference can't be understated. Like they need that. They they need other teams to come up and, and to be that. And so, you know, absolutely. Um, you know, I agree with you is Clemson's better and everyone else is, is probably worse. And again, I, I think it's because of the path, the way that we define success and national recruiting has really changed the game, I think, for the Florida schools. Um, but let's let's move on. Oh, um, hang, hang on. I, I'm, give me, I'm going to give Louisville their props. Yeah, they well. They were a Conference USA football team. They were better. And they they finagled their way all the way up into being a part of the Power Five and obviously being in the top five recently with those Lamar Jackson teams. So, no, I'm gonna, I got to give them their flowers. And they got a Heisman. Yeah, I got to give them their flowers. I, man, who Louisville. Eric yeah. Shelton, you kidding me? That one's another one that's a that's a for better. Um, okay, let's go. Let's talk about Texas. We always wonder if they're Oof. back. So let's go. Let's go to the Big Twelve, but let's specifically talk about the Longhorns. The, we're going to start getting into some of these programs like the Texas, Michigan, Nebraska. Some of these programs that yeah really expect to be in the national championship hunt year in and year out right now and are not. So does that by default mean that the past was better? Um, Texas is interesting. Because they were, I think about Ricky Williams all the time. Like I think about Ricky Williams. Obviously, you get then you get into the Colt McCoy years, and then you go. Did through you this just dip. say that you think about Ricky Williams all the time? Yeah, I think he's a really <laughs> um, interesting character, or, or not even a character. He's a person. He's. I think he's a very interesting person in the world of collegiate sports. Uh, and in obviously in the NFL as well, but I, 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 there's okay. I'll I'll say this: there's two players that I think were there's more than two, but two guys at the running back position that I think were so remarkably ahead of their time are Ricky Williams, and that is less about the way that he played and more about him struggling with anxiety and everything. Like if if he played today, there would be a lot more consideration and concessions given for him having that anxiety of dealing with yeah a lot more grace that's a great way to put it and I think in Reggie Bush Reggie Bush and we're going to talk about USC as well but Reggie Bush was ahead of his time in terms of what he could do on a football field and if he had a coach that didn't just want him to run the ball 25 times a freaking game and split him out into the slot and used him as more of a gadget piece he could have had a much better NFL career. So that's that's a tangent that I go off on. But I think about Texas, and Texas for me is, and I think for most people, is remarkably tied to A&M as well. And both of them are in weird spaces because for Texas, I think about Ricky Williams. I think about them winning a national, winning a national championship in 05. I was in college in 05. We watched that game. I watched that game 
with my teammates. Like, we watched that game. We were – because we thought USC was going to beat was going to beat them. And because we all loved, again, the guy that I mentioned, Reggie Bush. We all loved – everyone loved Reggie Bush. We Like, we would – play our game, and then go watch primetime USC, West Coast, Pac-12 after dark. But Vince Young was remarkable. The first time I ever saw Vince Young was, I think, one of our bye weeks in a dorm room. And I was like, oh, this guy is a superhuman. And it was like his redshirt freshman year or something. And so you have that. You have you have Ricky Williams. You have the Vince Young era. You have the um, Colt McCoy era. And then Texas sort of peters out. And obviously, you have a flash with Sam Elliger beating Georgia and saying Texas is back. But I don't think they're in a better position than they were, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And- yeah. So 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 let me jump in here. I, I, I agree. Um, I Also, if you look at the history of Texas football, they weren't doing that much until right. Mac got there. So you could argue that, like, and I've seen some of our colleagues argue that the assumption that Texas has always been really, really good because of where it is isn't actually true because they've same thing with LSU. Yeah, because they they've had a lot like more of their history are the lulls than there are the the peaks and the and the success. So so you could so I think we're talking about the Mac Brown era mostly just because that was like our formative um, our formative years especially for me as someone who got into college football later um, that Rose Bowl those teams but I think that's where we come at this in 2021 expecting a higher level of success because of the standard that was set in the Mac Brown era Bingo. where where that raised the expectations and that and they're hard to meet and so you sort of wonder in these coaches since Mac that haven't met that expectation, maybe they were, you know, kind of reverting to the mean, right? Like maybe they were going back to what Texas football was before Mac Brown elevated that, right? And and the expectations. But I also think you have Oklahoma and their emergence right now, Lincoln Riley, their offense, the way they do things, the way the league is. There's other reasons that Texas has struggled, but there's also parts where it's like they lose to, they have those random losses to like teams that are doing nothing in the league that are like inexplicable and that's the part where you're like okay well that's just you know the program isn't where it yeah. wants to be well i, I think it's this it's the, i think now's the time to make the most critical point the point that i was hoping people understood it's really hard to be good in college football it's much easier to tank a program not on purpose, not, I'm not talking tanking like the NBA, but just like it's much easier for a program to, again, drive off a cliff than it is to be good. You ha- like to be good in college, it's so hard to sustain success in college football. We saw Mac Brown do it until he couldn't do it. We saw Bobby Brown, uh, Bobby Brown, good grief. Bobby Bowden do it until he couldn't do it. We've seen this happen. It's really hard. We saw Lloyd Carr do it until he couldn't do it. And as the game it's, there's never been a time where the playing field has shifted more than in during our growing up period, right? Conference realignment changes what's important, changes, changes, changes um, who you're playing against every week. Then we also see this shift in college football being on television. Being on television means that every week you're watching. You, in 1994, no one from Miami is going to Oregon. No one from Miami is going to Oklahoma. 
And then all of a sudden, you get to see these programs and these teams and this culture and this, all this stuff, this shifting floor, and all of a sudden now becomes, as you mentioned, the national recruiting. And the national recruiting changes the game on how what players you can get and how you have to get players and how you have to recruit and the way that you can recruit. And then we see this shift in terms of offense, in the spread, and ma- maximizing talent in a way that you're not able to do, uh, people weren't able to do. It used to just be, if I had the biggest and the strongest guys, I'm going to beat you behind and beat you into submission and go from there, which right. is and then, and then to Nebraska. And then offenses, you know, have this advantage as the game yeah. changes for, for a long time. Let's go to Nebraska, because I do want to hit on some of the teams yeah. that, programs that left the Big 12. Nebraska and Michigan and Texas were the most interesting to me when you proposed this sure. thought exercise. So I think you've absolutely got to say Nebraska was better when we were growing up. I mean, yeah. they were in the national championship mix. But I also just think being in the Big 12, the, the Nebraska-Oklahoma games, like stuff like that. Yep. Colorado, like those were, that was just better. I mean, they have not developed any sort of, like, again, you're trying to manufacture rivalries when you join a new conference. Sure. But it's nowhere near the same significance, the place in history that those games had. Yeah, it's... And and Tom Osborne was just like a, a figure towering over the sport. Osborne is another one of those names that, right? Those coaches that we mentioned that can you can sustain it for this long, and then after him, it's like, oh no, we we got Frank Solich. Nine games doesn't feel like enough, so we're gonna let Frank Solich go, and then we get we have Bill Callahan, and Bill Callahan is like, oh, we're not. This isn't enough. We need more. We need more. We need more. And Nebraska is an interesting uh, piece of this because Nebraska was one of the first teams to really get deep into to weightlifting. They had humongous players. They were awesome. They recruited two places exceptionally well, California and Texas. And when you move to the Big Ten, you lose both of those, essentially. And so you have to kind of build an entire – building an entire new recruiting base from whole cloth is difficult. And they've struggled with some of that. They've been working on it, obviously, but they haven't had the success – in that regard but it's an interesting space because now you don't get to hey we play in texas three times a year we play in texas two times a year so we're going to be down here recruiting you hey we play it we're 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 going to go find kids in california that are are like we're we're a national power so we can get kids from california and that's and now everybody and now everybody can do that. And, and I think, too, you know, we see this when, when there's been good Iowa teams in the last few years mm-hmm. um, where, you know, you can see, okay, the, like these are, you know, the, the guys that are, um, you know, they're three-star guys. They're guys that develop. They're big. They're, you know, they're, they're Midwestern boys, you know, and yeah. you, they're, they're eating their corn and their wheat and whatever, right? And then, but, but there, it's the size thing. In Wisconsin, similar, similar situation, yeah. although Wisconsin Iowa has, and Wisconsin yeah. both. But, Michigan but, State for a while until they couldn't keep the train on the tracks. Yeah, and so, like, but we see when those teams then face, you know, uh, Ohio State or when they face, you know, a Clemson, Alabama type, we see the difference, right? So that, yes. but that build, the way that those those programs built, used to work, used to win, used to get you to the the highest level of the sport, and that's yeah. part of the shift too. 
Um, and, and I think that that's one of the things Nebraska is, is struggling with is, you know, obviously, you know, you, you hire Scott Frost and you're trying to recapture that, the magic of the past, but also in a new league. Also in a league where, you know, you want to be considered like Ohio State, you want to be considered like Michigan, you're in a different division and you're not doing great in the division. Like, it's not like you're reaching the Big Ten championship games. So you, you kind of, like, when you join the Big Ten, you wanted to play the big boys, but right now you don't because you want to get better first. And so, like, you're in this weird dynamic, and that's where you've had some of those situations where, like, they've complained about scheduling and, like, how hard their schedule right. was. And, like, some of those weird things where, like, theoretically, Nebraska football shouldn't be doing it, but they know that they're not where they want to be right this right. second. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, I'm going to say this. I don't think it's controversial. I think that, and you mentioned them already, I think that Ohio State has probably been the best program of my lifetime. Because they have not had true failure. During my, in my, in my, let's call it, I'm 36, in my 30-ish years of watching football, they've been always pretty good. Always pretty good. Whether it's David Boston or Joe, and Joe Germain or... It's Orlando Pace or it's Craig Krenzel or like, you know, any of these guys, they've always been like they haven't won as many national championships as Alabama has in the last 30 years, but they're never not there. They're never out of the conversation. Well, and, you know, this current run on beating Michigan is, you know, there, there have been streaks in that rivalry, but it's pretty pretty lopsided as lopsided as you can get right now and that matters quite a bit so when we're talking about like is your program better place or worse place than it was x amount of years ago it's what what matters to fans right and in both sides of this when you're going to take michigan and say obviously things were better in the late 90s early 2000s um you know it's a part of that is like this streak like they do not like getting killed by ohio state Every single year. And the years where you barely you barely get your hopes up. And then to have like some of the most lopsided results in the series history, it's it's a problem. And and I think maybe things go differently if that JT Barrett call is different and, and Harbaugh gets one, right? But right yeah. now that is it, it overshadows everything else. A couple of years ago, you know, Harbaugh's Michigan team is able to beat Notre Dame and Michigan State. And and these are the three big rivalry games. But then you get blown out by Ohio State, and it's like any goodwill from those other two games goes away. And so when you're in the same division, and that is the path that's blocking you from Big Ten titles and the playoff, uh, it's it's a huge problem. And so I, I'm with you in, in that they've, they're consistent. They're always there. They just had a coaching change from, you know, again, one of the, you know, the most successful coaches to ever do it in college football. Didn't skip a beat. They're not going to. They're in that upper, upper, upper echelon of, um, you know, the best players with great development, great coaching, and they win the biggest games. So absolutely. And, and I think because of that and because of the standard that they're measured against, you would have to say that Michigan and Penn State, like that has to come into play as we evaluate them in this for better, for worse, because the thing that they're compared to is 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 just almost like is, is at a different level than the, and they can't break through. And there's every time they play in the wake of that game, we talk about the gap. We talk about the talent gap. We talk about the execution gap. And so I, I think that that is coloring 
a lot of it, and I, you know, again, if things were different in terms of realignment and you don't go to 14 and set the divisions this way or whatever it might be, maybe things are a little bit different. But that stuff plays into it too in the way that those fan bases at Michigan and Penn State, you can have pretty decent years, nine wins, 10, 10 wins, but be incredibly disappointed and view them as not successful whatsoever in this era of college football. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, look, we, we think Michigan, no, not better. <laughs> Pitt State, no, not better. Um, so it's that's just what it is. And then the Big 12 as a whole, probably not better. Even though Oklahoma is certainly there as a team that we like and the team as a team that is doing it, um, I want to get your thoughts. I, here's what we're gonna do. Let's let's. This is part one because there's so much ground to cover. We still got to get to the Pac-12, which is a complete other discussion because it's got a, a former Big Twelve member in Colorado that used to be a powerhouse, and we've got to. I want the SEC is kind of its own beast because. It's so interesting to see the moving pieces there. So this will be part one. Part one. And the last thing, the only, the only thing I want to get your thought on, TCU. Where does TCU fit? And then we're going to wrap this up and then we're going to get, we'll do it again next week. Okay. Um, that's an interesting one because TCU, you know, we talked about Louisville and them hopping up conferences in, yep. in pretty, you know, in just coming out of this in a good position. TCU's in the same boat. They used to be the little guy. They used to be, we talked about them, you know, kind of crashing the whole thing the way that we talked about Boise State. And yeah. I think... Boise they, State better than when I was growing up. Yeah. And, and but, but TCU leveraged all of that into um, multiple conferences, right? They were in, were they in the Big East for like one year? Whatever it was. That was a weird, yeah, that was a really weird thing. Weird leverage thing, whatever. They're in a good spot now. They are surrounded by the Texas schools, except AM. We'll get into them when we have our SEC conversation. Yes. Um, yes, they're like they're the makeup of like the actual school and the way it's set up and the size is different than a lot of the schools in the league. But I don't think you could argue I mean, we we've they've been in the playoff picture first year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have an identity. We have seen them knock off, um, you know, some of the best teams in the league, give people scares. Like, they, they clearly, from a football standpoint, have fit in well. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what you were looking for, right? If you're, you know, Gary Patterson has, has been here so long and has kind of, you know, built this thing. Another longtime like, coach that sustains some su- a level of he, success. They yeah. have some downs, but they keep coming back up. And he has been there as they've made these jumps in conferences. Like, I always think about this way. People would talk about the NCAA tournament and like, you know, oh, we don't have the Butlers going on these runs anymore. Well, you know what? Butler jumped two division, two two conferences because of their runs. Like right. a lot of what's happened is consolidating power, and so a lot of the darlings that used to come from the outside now are in the inside. And TCU is an example of that. And so I think it's been a great fit. I think it makes total sense in the Big Twelve. Um, and, and side note on the realignment front, I love that the Big 12 is actually 10 teams and can play around Robin. Not not because of the name, but can play around Robin. They actually all get to play each other every year. Like, yeah. I think that helps, especially, too, when you're, a new, when you're joining a league like TCU or West Virginia and you need to develop rivalries and familiarity with other teams. Oh, I'm going to say two other schools and then we're, we're out of here. Iowa State, better. Baylor, infinitely better than they were ever when I was growing up. Baylor is 
so markedly better on the field. Off the field, not better. On the field, better. And so I just wanted to make sure we mentioned it. I don't want people being like, well, Baylor used to never win any games, and now they can win games. And yes, that is a massive difference for them. Okay, well, let's call that part one. We will do for better, for worse. We will go through the Pac-12, SEC, Notre Dame. Um, we will go through all of that in a later Power Hour episode, um, but we will do the same exact format and, and dive deep into our childhood era of teams. Felder, before we go, we got to do a last call. Um, I Sorry I teased yours earlier, but I saw them. So you go first. Tell us, tell us what you're cheersing to. Yeah, I'm cheersing to my Sunday evenings. Uh, Sunday evenings, we I have a little bit. I have a beer uh, with my, my my wife has wine. I have a beer, so it's literally like a last call, and we do a family nail painting session. And I realize now that I am getting the rawest deal out of all of this because my wife paints her own nails, then my wife paints my kids' nails, and then my kid paints my nails. So I'm getting the worst nail paint job out of everyone. Or the best. It's it's great. I love it. Right now we got rainbows. So literally going from purple, orange, green, blue with a little bit of pink on the end. And I love it. And it's it's just I, I it's one of those things that I don't think I would I would have gotten to do um if we weren't during like if I wasn't still like working from home. So it's a really cool just I'm in, I'm really just enjoying spending time with her. I love that, and I also um, think that you're getting the best job, and I also would like to know how long do you have to keep it on before you can take it off each week? Oh, I, it's, it's, I, keep, I, I take it off right before we paint them again. Oh, okay. All right, so you're not resetting at any point during the week. I, I respect that. Yeah, respect no, that. I'm, listen, I'm not afraid to have my nails painted. I don't care. Okay. All right, so, so <laughs> my, my last call is, is football-specific. Um, we are back in the dead period. We survived the onslaught that was June recruiting Ooh. and the camps. Every single coach I talked to the entire month was toast. They were fried. I talked to a head coach six days in and he was like done. He was already planning out his vacation for July. Um, it has been an insane month as everyone was finally allowed to go back out on the road. Camps were allowed to happen. We saw mega camps. We saw all sorts of crazy stuff. And it's just been a lot because coaches are trying to make up for 15 months in, you know, 27 days or whatever it was. So shout out to everyone for the grind and for it being over. And I hope all these college football coaches have nice vacations here over the next couple weeks. And then we get started for the season. So cheers to the dead period returning. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, as, as someone who lived in that world, uh, traveling and doing the whole deal. It's a lot. So yeah, cheers to them. I'll, I'll toast to that. Awesome. All right. Well, again, we will do part two of for better, for worse, um, at a later date on power hour, but thank you for listening. If you're not already an athletic subscriber, you can sign up at theathletic.com slash Nicole for 40% off. Andy Staples and Ari Wasserman will be back on this feed later this week. Uh, Power Hour will be off next Tuesday, but we'll be back on July 13th, and we will do second half of For Better, For Worse. For Michael Felder, I'm Nicole Auerbach, and thanks for listening. (laughs) 